0: Greetings to all of you. I want to welcome all of us at uh, Center Street Church, those of us are here at Central Campus, as well as those uh, who are joining us from our campus in Northwest Calgary, uh, Bridgeland, Airdrie, and South Calgary. I also want to welcome our online viewers as well. Pastor Henry was uh, scheduled to preach this weekend, but he came down with a cold and a flu, so I'm covering for him today. Uh, please do pray for his recovery, for we really want Pastor Henry to preach Next weekend, which will be our Global Missions Weekend. Last time, uh, we heard from guest pastor Ken Shigamatsu on the survival habits of the soul. And he's talked to us about uh, reordering our lives and not fall into this uh, cultural trap of success and achievement. Uh, today, I want to continue our, on our emphasis on spiritual formation and focus our attention on the topic of prayer You heard already that at the start of this new year, we are entering into a week of prayer as a church along with all our campuses. And setting this entire week apart for fasting and prayer is our declaration of dependence before God as a community. And I believe this sermon will help us to prepare our hearts for this important week ahead of us and engage actively in the events that we have planned once I heard Pastor Craig Groeschel challenge his congregation with these words. If God were to say yes to everything that you prayed for this past week, what would be different in the world today? Now I want you to honestly reflect on that question for a moment. If God gave everything that you asked for this past week or even this past month You got every single one of your petitions answered. Yes, 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 yes. Would our world be radically different as a result of that? Would God's kingdom advance? Will new people come to faith in Jesus Christ? Would people be healed of sicknesses and marriages be reconciled and families be restored? Will there be a spiritual awakening in our city and in our nation? Craig Groschel goes on to say, if God answered all of our prayers, for some of us, our food will be blessed. We will have traveling mercies and we will reach our destination safely. Our petty little problems will disappear. But what would be different in the world as a result? Not much. Unfortunately, so many of us fall into the strap of a dull, uninspiring prayer life instead of the adventure it is meant to be. Now, I'm preaching this sermon to myself as much as I'm speaking to any of you here because God has been challenging me to grow in this area. It is easy to turn prayer into a ritual just a set of words that we string together at a certain time of the day. And before we know, our prayers become mundane and perfunctory, and we lose sight of the power of prayer. Now, I don't know of any other area in our Christian life that comes under spiritual attack like our prayer life. If there's one thing the enemy wants to strip you off, it is your dependence on prayer. We hear these words from an old Methodist preacher named Samuel Chadwick. The one concern of the devil is to keep the saints from prayer. Our enemy fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. Prayer turns ordinary mortals into people of power. It brings fire, it brings rain, it brings life, it brings God. There is no power like that of prevailing prayer. Now think about this. If there's one activity that would cause the enemy to tremble, it's prayer. Do you believe that? It makes sense why all of the forces of darkness are bent on keeping us from praying. For they know, apart from prayer, our accomplishments will be minimal. But when we pray, we partner with the one who gives us strength to do all things. As you read the Bible, time and again, we see God do great things in response to bold prayers. God has ordained prayer as the means For us to receive supernatural help. So, the challenge I want to bring to all of us today is to pray with expectation, especially this week as we commit this week to a week of prayer. Let's raise our level of anticipation of what God can and will do. Allow our faith to arise to a new level where we can start trusting God to fulfill His promises to help us in this great and important task and to set the stage for this week of prayer, we're going to look at a passage of scripture from one of my favorite books in the Bible, the book of Acts. I'm going to ask us to stand right now as we read our text from Acts chapter 12, verses 1 to 19. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. And the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. Hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You are out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said and then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Lord, we thank you for this inspired narrative that helps us to understand power of prayer, what you can do in response to the earnest cries of your people. God, would you cause our faith to arise in this place, that our level of expectations will go high even this week as we seek your face as a community. We pray that, Lord, you will do great and mighty things. Come and minister to us even now in the power of your Spirit that you will personalize this message and you will stir our prayer lives for your glory and honor. We ask this in Jesus' most powerful name. Amen. You may be seated. The story is told of a man who got a permit to open the first tavern in a small town. The members of the local church in the small town were strongly opposed to this idea, so they began to pray that God would intervene. A few days before the bar was scheduled to open, lightning hit that structure and burned the building to the ground. And when the people of the church found out what had happened, they were shouting hallelujahs and hi-fying each other until they received a notice that the would-be town owner was suing them. Uh, He claimed that their prayers were responsible for the burning of the building, and he wanted the church to compensate him for the loss. Well, the church folks were taken aback by this allegation and denied any responsibility at all for the damage of the building. So as the matter went to court, uh, the judge heard both sides, and with a puzzled look in his face, the judge says, Well, this is really complicated. There is a bar owner who believes in the power of prayer, and an entire church congregation that does not. (laughs) Well, this is a humorous story. But how often we pray with little or no expectation that our prayers would be heard. And even as we are voicing out our prayers for divine intervention, our mind starts reasoning how absurd it is to expect an answer. And if we were to actually receive the very thing we prayed for, our jaws would drop. Sometimes, if are honest, we get more surprised when our prayers are answered rather than the other way around. And just in case you think this is our contemporary problem, you will be encouraged to know that the early church, the church that we hold in such high esteem, also had similar problems. Let me give you a quick context to our text in Acts chapter 12. These were quite gloomy times for the early church. They had a little bit of respite from persecution at the conversion of Saul. But yet another new enemy came into the scene to harass them, Herod Agrippa I. If you remember the Christmas story, you have reference to Herod the Great, who wanted to get rid of baby Jesus and and commanded the slaughtering of babies under two years' age in Bethlehem. Herod Agrippa I was the grandson of Herod the Great. And he took it as his mission to oppose the work of God just as his grandfather did. Now our text tells us in verse 2, Herod had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. James along with his brother John, were called the sons of thunder in the Gospels. And James was now beheaded. This is pretty significant because James is the first apostle to be martyred. Now, we know that Jesus had 12 disciples, and within the circle of that 12, Jesus had an inner company of three people with whom he was really close with, Peter, James, and John. So it is this James who is now killed by Herod. King Herod was a people pleaser. When he found out that the Jews gave approval to James' execution, he determined in his heart to get rid of Peter as well. And because this was Passover week, they kept Peter in the prison as they couldn't hold a trial during that week. Now with this backdrop in mind, ask yourself this question, What can a small group of believers do in the face of such steep opposition? Peter, the leader of the church, was on the verge of death. The church stood at the danger of being squished by the powers that be. And all they could do in response was to pray. And verse 5 says, So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Watching from the outside, can anything look wimpier than a bunch of people praying when the odds are clearly stacked against them? The word translated earnest in verse 5, it literally means to stretch or to strain. If you need a word picture, it's the idea of hands stretched out to God in fervent supplication, with eager anticipation. The church was agonizing in prayer. This is not a casual prayer. This is not a Lord, I lay me down to sleep kind of prayer. This was a heart-wrenching cry. It was a wholehearted, united, urgent pleading before God for divine intervention. I noticed that when we pray today, we go around repeating information which God already knows. But our prayers so often lack passion and intensity and earnestness. Many times I've sat in prayer meetings where I wanted to echo the words of D.L. Moody. Some people's prayers need to be cut short at both ends and set on fire in the middle. (laughs) The early church agonizingly interceded on behalf of Peter. I want you to notice this contrast here. When Herod attacked with the sword, the church countered it with prayer. The early church realized prayer was its primary weapon. It was their act of defiance against the opposition. The kingdom of darkness uses physical weapons. The church uses the weapon of prayer. You know, I have news for you today. The Bible does not present prayer as a passive activity. Far from it. You know, this attitude that is so prevalent in our Christian world that says, Oh, we have done everything else. All we can do is now pray is certainly not biblical because it relegates prayer into a last-ditch effort after all our other options have been exhausted. See, God has not just left us defenseless in this battle, but he has given us a powerful ammunition. For when we pray, let's not forget who we are calling on. We are calling on the one who spoke this entire world into existence. We are calling on the one who said, let there be light. And there was light. Prayer beckons the almighty God who has no limitations to come and help us on our behalf. And that is the reason why we are dedicating this coming week as a time for prayer. It is an opportunity for all of us who are part of Sennestreet Church to wield your weapon in spiritual warfare. This week is about storming the gates of heaven and pushing back the forces of darkness because we are uniting in one accord to advance the kingdom of Jesus. The early church knew that secret. So rather than despairing at an impossible situation, they prayed and they prayed earnestly to God. I want us to pay attention for a moment at Peter's circumstance, he was in a well guarded prison. Our text gives us some precise details. Look at verse four. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover four squads of four mean-looking soldiers to guard a simple fisherman. Isn't that incredible? And again, verse 6 tells us, the night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. So you have two soldiers on either side, and Peter's chained to both of them. Several guards standing at the entrance. There are multiple doors and gates This is like a federal prison with high security. Herod was doing all he could with his power to ensure that there would be no possibility of escape. But what you see next is actually funny. You know, we often miss out on humor in the Bible because our minds tend to get very serious when we read spiritual stuff. But notice this, Peter is in a prison It was the night before his trial and everybody knew that the trial was just a formality. The decision had already been made that he is going to be executed. There are Roman guards all around Peter. He's bound in chains. He's held in a high security prison awaiting death and this dude enters into a deep peaceful sleep. He's not tossing and turning. He's not biting his nails. He's not cringing at the prospect of an unfair trial. There's not a hint of anxiety here. And I'm sure the Roman gods were bothered by this. It must have terrified them. What kind of a weirdo is this who can sleep peacefully on the night before his execution? Does he not know what awaits him tomorrow morning? And in fact, so deep was Peter's sleep that when the angel appears in the prison cell, there's light shining, and Peter, oblivious of all that, continues to sleep. Verse 7: Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Did you catch that? As the room is being filled with bright angelic light, Peter, was still deep asleep, and the angel literally jabs him on the side to wake him up. In fact, the words in the original language can be rendered, the angel kicked him in his ribs to wake him up. Hopefully no damage was done. (laughs) Now let me ask you, when was the last time you slept like that in the midst of an impending crisis? If you have a doctor's appointment in the morning, and then you know that it's an important one, or a big job review is happening at work, does that leave you a little bit restless at night? See, the Bible presents prayer as an antidote to anxiety. When you pray, an exchange takes place. We hand over all our burdens to God, and we in turn receive His peace. We need to memorize these words in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Every Christian needs to memorize this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Are worries keeping you from sleeping at night? Are you concerned about your future? Are you losing sleep over the uncertainties that are surrounding you today? Present your requests to God. When you pray and commit your requests to God, you can lay your head on your pillow knowing that God's got all of this under control. Whatever your circumstances are, God can give you an abiding peace that will guard your heart and your mind in the midst of your storm. What we see here in Acts chapter 12 is a miraculous rescue. No other explanations. The armed guards are unaware, but the chains broke. And the huge iron doors opened by itself. The word used there in Greek is "automate," from which we get our word automatic. The big iron gates opened automatically. And before you know, Peter is out of the jail, out of a maximum security prison, guarded by soldiers. And all of this happened because a bunch of new Christians decided they were going to pray earnestly and intercede before the throne room of God. Heavy chains broke and gigantic doors opened in response to their prayers. Your situation may look impossible. You may feel hopeless and you may come to your wit's end, but God knows how to get you out. He still specializes in breaking chains and opening closed doors. You need to know God does that in response to prayer. That's the staggering part. Prayer causes things to happen. There are some things in your life you will never receive unless you pray and ask God for it. See, the problem with our pragmatic North American culture is we major on techniques and strategies and see them as ultimate solutions. So we can talk all day about parenting techniques and strategies. We go hunting for keys to help marriage and family. We attend seminars, we buy books, so we can master the right techniques and see them as the way to solve all our problems. How is that working for you? I'll tell you what is the most effective parenting technique is. Go down on your knees and cry out to God. You know, I'll tell you what's the best resource to strengthen your marriage. Pray together as a couple. You know, as important as strategies and techniques are, our success does not depend on them. For unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. What prayer does is it reinforces our dependence on God. And a person who lives in dependence on God has absolutely nothing to fear. Now there's some more humor in our text. Look at verses uh, 12 and 13. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. See, a group of Christians are praying in the middle of the night, the night before Peter's trial. What were they asking God for? They were asking for Peter's release. And they hear somebody knocking at the door in the middle of the night. And this little servant girl named Rhoda, whose name means Rose, goes to the door. See, they didn't have a peephole like we have in our door to find out who's standing on the other side. Rose hears Peter's voice, his distinct Galilean accent. And she immediately recognizes who this was. And in all her excitement and exhilaration, Rose forgets to do the most important thing, to let Peter in. So she runs back to the prayer meeting, and she interrupts them in the middle of their fervent prayers, and she says, hey, guess what? The prayer meeting is over. Your prayers are answered. Peter is standing at the door. And what do you think their response should have been? They should have been shouting hallelujahs and jumping and praising God. And instead, look at their response of faith. Verse 15. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said it must be his angel. They tell little Rose, are you saying Peter is at the door? You crazy girl, you need a realistic take on life. Prayers don't work like that. And little Rose keeps insisting that it is Peter who's standing on the outside. And they argue back and forth. This is late in the night, so none of them, uh, they're not thinking straight here. So here comes this response. They say, well, Peter is in a high security prison. He's chained to the gods. There's no way he can be there. And they concluded maybe poor Peter is dead. And his spirit is showing up at the door to comfort them. What great robust faith. And all along, Peter is still banging at the door, wondering what in the world is going on here. You know, it's ironic that the big iron prison gates opened automatically while Peter was unable to get through the gates of his Christian friends. (laughs) You know, this humorous narrative is not an indictment on the church. I'm sure the early church recounted this story several times over and over and they had a hearty laugh. It just shows that the early church had ordinary men and women like us with imperfect faith. They prayed earnestly, and God used their imperfect faith to do spectacular things. God can still work with our imperfect faith and do spectacular things today. The story doesn't end there, there's more. And Herod, the tyrant, who was adamant in hindering God's work, finds out that Peter had escaped. He's furious, and he executes all the soldiers. But what Herod did not know was this. When he was taking on God's people, he was taking on God himself. And no human power is a match for God. The church cried out to God. And at the end of this chapter, chapter 12, we read Herod's obituary. He's no more. Yet another opposition to God's kingdom was wiped out. The lesson is very distinct and clear. Those who oppose the Lord will lose, whether it's Pharaoh, Jezebel, Nebuchadnezzar, or Herod. No one can oppose God and win. God's mission is unstoppable. And as we come to an end today, I want to challenge you to unearth the potential of prayer in a fresh new way. And granted, prayer is not a magic wand, but it is a warfare tool to push back the forces of darkness and claim the victory that Jesus has already won for us. And this week gives you a hands on opportunity to put that into practice. Now, I want to close with this. The great South African devotional writer Andrew Murray wrote these words. The man who mobilizes the Christian church to pray will make the greatest contribution to world evangelization in history. That is the burden God has given me this weekend to mobilize our church to pray. For I'm too old-fashioned, simple-minded, and naive to believe that when we pray together as a church, something incredible will happen in our ministries, in our city, and in our nation. Do you believe that? Would you join hands with us as we seek God and give Him the number one place, the priority that He deserves in our life, in the life of our church? And when we do so, Chains will break and doors will open in response to our prayers. I'm going to ask all of us to stand right now. Now, I don't want to just talk about prayer, but I want to give an opportunity for us to do that right now. So in the next few minutes, we're going to take this time To seek God, let me remind you the words of Jesus. Ask, and it'll be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. Chains break, doors open in response to earnest prayers. So the question I have for you is, where do you need God's divine intervention in your life? What do you want Jesus to do for you? Would you cry out to him even now, this very moment? If you come as families with your spouse, your family members or friends, this is a time for you to maybe join together in small groups and pray as well. Just hold hands with your spouse and lift your requests to God. Remember who we are calling on. Help is on the way when we cry out to him. So I'm going to ask us to maintain a a few moments now in the presence of God to bring our requests before him. Take two or three minutes to pray and after that I'll close our time in prayer. If some of you have a heavy burden on your heart, I wouldn't even encourage you to come forward and kneel here at the altar because that is your way of declaring your dependence on God. It is your way of releasing your burdens and laying them at the foot of the cross. So the altar is open. If you feel convicted, just come forward and kneel right here. Let's have a time of earnest prayer. Lord, use hear the cries of our hearts like no one else does. And you see the burdens that are being lifted up to you right now. We call upon you, oh Lord. We call upon you desperately because we need you more than anything else in our life. We as a church want to give you the place that you deserve. Jesus, we pray that you would be in the very center of our existence of our lives, that you will be exalted and glorified and worshiped and adored. That, Lord, you will do great and mighty things in our midst. Today, God, we pray for those of us here who need a physical touch from you, a touch of healing in their bodies. Lord, we pray that you will stretch forth your nail-pierced hands and you will reach out to them right now in the name of Jesus. We pray for your healing presence and your power to flow in this place. That bodies will be restored. That you will give strength in the midst of the people's weakness. God, we pray today for our loved ones who do not know you yet. We pray for those who have walked away from the faith. Lord, we pray that chains will break. That you would set people free, that the blindfold will be removed, that they will see the truth of who you are. Your deep, amazing love will awaken their heart. We pray that, Lord, as we cry out to you, doors will open, doors of favor. For those who are looking for work, for those who are needing financial provisions, we pray that you will respond to their cry for help. We pray for our ministries of our church. We pray for every single ministry, God, that you will anoint us with your spirit, that this year will be a year of harvest, that you would use us, oh God, to advance your kingdom as we faithfully proclaim the gospel, as we commit to making disciples. We pray that you will bless our church and make us a blessing to our city, to this nation, and to the world. That we will be ambassadors of the gospel and you would use every family represented in our church, every individual to advance your great purposes. And we give you all the glory, honor, and praise. May the burdens that we are carrying be lifted up and we receive your deep abiding peace and joy today. And even as we leave this place, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of our Heavenly Father, and the sweet, unfailing fellowship of the Holy Spirit may rest and abide with each and every one of us, both now and forevermore. Amen.